Our Christian thinker for this week is actually here to discuss a completely different Christian thinker, but one that helped shape the landscape of American theological and Bible teaching, and that is R.C. Sproul, and our guest is Dr. Stephen Nichols. Dr. Nichols um, is actually R.C. Sproul's handpicked biographer. Um, he published the biography um, titled R.C. Sproul through Crossway, and it is an amazing read if you're somebody like me who, for whatever reason, found yourself completely just blown away by the amazing teaching of R.C. Sproul, as you're going to hear Dr. Nichols and I talk throughout this episode. Um, in a lot of ways, Dr. Sproul was the epitome of a Bible and theological teacher. Um, he was witty. He was quick. Uh, he always shared a good story that helped contextualize and land the points that he was trying to make. But there were few, if any, deeper um, and more thorough in their teaching than R.C. Sproul. Uh, quick with a joke and with uh, the chalk on the board. And so if you're not familiar with R.C. Sproul, um, listen to the episode. Listen to the way Dr. Nichols and I talk about this guy who we both um, you know, admired a great deal. Dr. Nichols from, you know, up close and, and me afar. Um, but then go, go check out Dr. Sproul's teaching on YouTube, on resources like right now media, you can get the Ligonier, um, app on your phone, the Ligonier app on your Apple TV, your Roku, um, or go check out the biography that Dr. Nichols wrote. It's an amazing read. You won't regret it. Um, and RC Sproul is one of the best you could listen to. Um, so I'm excited for you to hear this episode of the All Things All People podcast. If you're unaware, uh, we have some resources for you on the All Things All People website, specifically the World Religions Basic page. This is a resource we've been um, promoting the last few weeks, and I'm continuing to work on that. Go check out uh, all things dot or no, that's my Instagram, all things all people dot org slash religions. And um, right there, you have um, a bunch of the most uh, well-known religions on the world landscape with more coming um, because I get tons of people on social media, email alike, um, just asking, you know, hey, what do Jehovah's Witnesses believe? What do Mormons believe? What do Hindus believe? And uh, that's a great starting point for you. Also on the website, check out our speaking page and our contact page. If you have any questions or, or your church group, your college group, your youth group, whatever it might be, um, is looking to have somebody come speak about Christian worldview, Christian thought or world religions, uh, hit us up at all things, all people. Um, and so, yeah, with no further ado though, I'm excited for you to listen to this conversation that I was privileged to have about, uh, about RC Sproul with our Christian thinker for this week, Dr. Stephen Nichols. Let's do it. My next guest is president of Reformation Bible College, chief academic officer for Ligonier Ministries, and a teaching fellow for Ligonier. He holds a PhD from Westminster Theological Seminary and is host of podcasts like Five Minutes in Church History and Open Book. He is author of more than 20 books and is co-editor of Crossway's Theologians on the Christian Life series. He and I have the opportunity today to discuss the life and work of his friend, R.C. Sproul, who passed away in 2017 after a lifetime of prolific writing and teaching, which impacted the kingdom of God in ways few could have imagined. He chronicled that life in a biography of Dr. Sproul's life, and it is my honor to have him on the show today to discuss that very book 
in that life of ministry. So our guest this week is Dr. Stephen Nichols. Dr. Nichols, thank you so much for making time to do this. Oh, my pleasure. Looking forward to this time with you. Yeah. Um, when I think about Dr. Sproul, um, there's so many things that come to mind. Um, but in reading the book and just in the, you know, I, I've seen the YouTube videos of him talking about this and his friends talking about him. And it seems as if a central, uh, a less serious, but yet very much central component of his life was his, his golf game. And I just have <laughs> to ask you, uh, you know, having known him, um, but I don't know much about your golf game. Did you ever have the opportunity to, to play golf with Dr. Sproul? I am not a golfer. Uh, <laughs> now, I remember one time, the first time I asked Vesta, RC's wife, we'll talk about yeah. her. I asked Vesta if she was a golfer too. And her answer was, why should both of us be unhappy? <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. Why should we be unhappy too? But yeah. no, you're right. Uh, and I mean, he was an athlete. And golf is really about competing against yourself, right? So I think that was the attraction of uh, golf to RC. Yeah. yeah. Quite a serious golfer too. It seems I, you know, I, yeah. yeah, I, 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 I think I knew that just from hearing him talk about it, but then reading the book in it, actually, if you go to the index of, of your book, um, there's as many entries for golf as there are for quite a few theological principles. <laughs> um, and so, so yeah, I mean, he, an impressive golfer, but an impressive guy, all around. Um, you mentioned he's an athlete, uh, impeccable baseball player when he was young, but he's a pretty interesting guy too. Uh, you mentioned in the book, he started, I did not know this. Um, you might have mentioned this in the book. I may have read it somewhere else, but he started learning how to play the violin in his sixties. Is that right? Yes, right. And it was while I was here, he started St. Andrew's chapel, mm -hmm. uh, the church here in central Florida. And he started the St. Andrew's Music Conservatory. And I'm convinced he started the conservatory just so he could take violin lessons, mm. uh, which he did at the age of 62. And uh, yeah, he talks about his violin teacher was Russian. And so all he really learned was net because he would always do something wrong, hold the bow wrong, position it wrong, and she'd be yet, yet, yet. And so he said he didn't learn much violin, but he did learn yet. Yeah. Wow. Well, he, he certainly was an impressive guy. And for any listeners who, who aren't as familiar with, with RC as, of course, you are, um, or even somebody like me who uh, grew up in my Christian walk listening to him, um, I, I think you have a very interesting perspective, even more than most. I mean, if you if you do much reading into the life of RC Sproul, watching the videos on YouTube, hearing him talk about his friends, he really hit the circle of friends he ran and was a venerable who's who in, you know, kind of modern day reformed theology, guys like John MacArthur, Alistair Begg, yourself. Um, but you have an interesting perspective because I know that you studied and taught church history before you were at Ref uh, Reformation and with Ligonier, you were at Lancaster Bible College teaching. So in in regards to church history, and really when we think about the last generation of, of Bible teachers, what makes R.C. Sproul stand out so much so that, you know, you and I here four years after we lost him are still talking about him? And I think people will be listening to him and watching his videos for quite some time. I think it actually has to do with those characteristics that you see in the church history figures that stand out. We always have those go-to figures. They're sort of the Mount Everests, right, of church history. 
It's Augustine, it's Aquinas, it's Luther, Calvin, Edwards, Turretin, Hodge, Machen. You start looking at these figures and you begin to see a couple of things. One is they had such a high view of God. And so that's really where they started. They, they didn't have a sense of what culture thinks about God or what they think. You know, we have so many people think, well, well, my God is, and they present this picture of really not the God of the Bible. But you go back to these figures, they had at the center of their theology and their life a vision of who God is. Then the other thing they always had was just courage, courage of their convictions, Many of them were in these sort of contramundum against the world moments. And we live in a moment now, you know, you've got your podcast. And I think of all these great podcasts and just sources of reform teaching. We are rich and awash in sea of good teaching. You go back even to the 1970s when RC was starting up Ligonier Ministries and the reformed voices were John the Baptists in the wilderness. Yeah. And it took courage and conviction to say a lot of those things. Mm -hmm. And I think R.C. was one of them. And that it's what he admired about the Luthers and Calvins and Edwardses of church history. But I think it also was very much a hallmark of his own ministry. And because he's talking about who God is and, and pointing us to the Bible and talking about the solas and Jesus and, and, justification by faith we're go his message is going to be relevant mm-hmm. four years after his death and yeah. three years after his yeah. death yeah that's, that's what we need to hear yeah uh yeah growing up and in, in really um coming to maturity in my faith in bible school i always knew who rc Sproul. i i knew of him and then i really you know, had my eyes open to just how amazing of a teacher he was when i first dove into trying to understand um Catholicism. And he was a, just a tremendous teacher. Um, he even called himself in one of his videos, a, a student of Rome. I mean, he really had a grasp of Roman Catholicism and I can remember vividly him on that chalkboard, um, <laughs> <laughs> which was a, a hallmark of his teaching. Um, right. and, and, and still to this day, I actually replicate how he taught the biblical view of imputation, which was a hallmark of, of his theology, of course. I mean, just as reformed theology, but um, you mentioned how we today are in a in a, a sea of good, mostly good resources and mostly good teaching. Um, do you feel like going all the way back to the beginnings of Ligonier, which those who don't know, I mean, that was named after the small town that, that there in uh, Pennsylvania that he was from and um, started and going back to that study center on the farmland where he started teaching classes and, you know, started doing cassettes and started doing video. Do you feel as if um, the right now medias, the podcasting of today, the YouTubes, not that we owe any of that to RC, but the way we teach in these mediums, I think about guys like Tim Mackey and the Bible project. Um, Do you think that he was kind of on the forefront of some of that, of making this great Bible teaching accessible in a multimedia way? I think it was, it was, both the content and yeah. the communication of the content. Mm-hmm. And, and when you look at this, he did, he was doing a video cassette recording of teaching series in 1974. Yeah. And they were putting out video cassette tapes. Churches didn't know what to do with these things. Yeah. So Ligonier had to buy 
video cassette recorders and loaned them to churches so churches could watch the video cassette tape recording. So to say that Ligonier was on the cutting edge in 1974 would be an understatement. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, so what's the media now? And it's digital and podcasts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we've moved into that uh, at Ligonier. And the idea is this is a strategic resource that we can use to get this content out and be accessible to people. And uh, I I do think, you know, it's interesting. You can be traditional in your theology, and yet uh, you can be very avant-garde in your communication style and taking advantage of some of these technological innovations. That was looking here from the beginning. Even the cassette tapes, we look at those as dinosaurs in our day, but uh, in the 70s, that was also yeah. cutting edge, putting teaching on cassette tapes and sending it to people. Who was mm-hmm. doing it? Oh, yeah. Well, and I mean, to, when you go back and watch that footage, I think I saw the first uh, teaching that they put on video, um, and it was him teaching on, I believe, the, as is as typical, the whole, holiness of God, yeah, I think. The holiness of God series, that's right. And he was dressed very 1970s. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I'd never seen him like that. But um, and and it's amazing to think back to how much they've they've changed. But like I said, I remember vividly how I began introduced and, and many people who are, you know, if you want to say fans or they have been I- impacted by his ministry, they remember listening to Renewing Your Mind on the radio, now podcast, the videos. But how how was it that you came about? The teachings of R.C. Sproul, because I know, like I mentioned, you had been in education and academia for quite some time before you went into work with Ligonier and Reformation. So how was it that you discovered R.C. Sproul's teaching? Yeah, for me, it was the printed page. And I, I grew up in a non-Christian family. My dad's a pastor, uh, surrounded by the Word of God in church from the time I was in the womb, mm-hmm. uh, but not a Reformed church. Um, but when I was a teenager, uh, someone had donated a box of books to my dad, you know, for, for his library relative had died or something. And in there was an essay book that RC had edited it was in honor of his mentor, John Gershner, and had this Latin title, Soli Deo Gloria. Mm-hmm. So I was a teenager and I thought, well, that's cool. I can have this cool title book. So I grabbed it out of this box for myself. It's not the typical book that people come to RC through. And the first time I, I met RC like at a book signing when I was in college, but the first time I really met him, um, I mentioned that to him and he said, you're the only person who ever has even (laughs) talked to me about that book. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The first, Um, then it was holiness of God uh, for me. And I read that as a college student and it, it just it was a way of talking about God that was new to me. Mm-hmm. And you, you sensed the, the gravitas mm-hmm. of who God is reading that book. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I can't tell you how many times I read Isaiah 6 before I read The Holiness of God. Mm. I can tell you I read it differently after I read The Holiness of God. And yeah. just something about that book that, speaks about God in a way that very few people do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and 
if somebody's not extremely familiar with with Dr. Sproul and just kind of the topics that typically come up, that is maybe the the number one that's going to be attributed to to him as the holiness of God. And and so often, even in in topics that might not have seemed like they could be brought back to that, he was pretty good at bringing it back to theology proper and ultimately the the, the theology of the holiness of God. Um, but like I like I mentioned, you know, I, I came to him wanting to learn about Roman Catholicism and, you know, so many people want to learn uh, Calvinism and reform the hallmarks of reformed theology uh, from him. I heard you mention a story one time that he preached a, a, a message at, probably at St. Andrews and somebody said, Hey, how long did that take you to write? And his answer was five minutes. And then after a pause, he said, and also 30 years, uh, could you break down kind of, um, you know, just somebody who knew him, that answer to me, not having known him personally at all, it's like I can hear him saying that because I always got the sense listening to him. And I think most people probably do that. He could have gotten up and impromptu preached on anything, but he wouldn't have been winging it. You know what I mean? So could you kind of get what was it like to be around him when he was preaching and teaching? Um, you know, not that he, like you mentioned Gravitas, not that he was the center of the show. He, of course, was making God the center of the show, but it had to have been something special to be around him when he was teaching and preaching. Well, he's a brilliant communicator and he just captured an audience. And I think there are a lot of reasons. One is you felt like he was talking directly to you. Yes. And that's true. Even of listening to him on the radio, if you just feel like he's, he's a consummate teacher. So that's one thing. But I think what you're alluding to with the five minutes and 30 years, and this is one of the things I wanted to show in the book, there was a lot of foundation yeah. that went into R.C. Sproul. So you mentioned Catholicism. Well, when he was in seminary, he had a whole seminar course on the Council of Trent. And it was four students taught by John Gershner. They sat around a seminar table and they spent the whole semester going through the Council of Trent. When he went for his doctoral program at a free university in Amsterdam, he had Burkhauer as his mm -hmm. yeah. teacher. Burkhauer had just come from Vatican II <laughs> and he was roommates with Hans Kung, who's yeah. like this celebrated the Catholic, Catholic theologian. theologian. Yeah. And so here's Burkhauer talking about not only the uh, public events that were happening in Vatican II, but he and Hans Kung are up all night in their room talking about theology. And it's as if R.C. had a first row seat to Vatican II. So when he writes about Catholicism or speaks on Catholicism, he just pulls all this from his head. But what, what you don't see is he had his feet under his desk and he was a diligent student and he was pouring a foundation and building a foundation and God used that foundation to build a wonderful edifice on yeah. over the 50 years of his public ministry. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's, a, that's something that we got to pay attention to. And I think it's also an encouragement, you know, for, I don't know if you have listeners who are wanting to pursue ministry or in ministry, or even just, uh, you know, lay teachers. Yeah. It, we really do need to be diligent students and just pour ourselves into the study of God's word because that will come back. That that mm -hmm. will pay dividends mm -hmm. uh, later in, in ministry and pouring out to people. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned he's a diligent student. It, it, of course, a diligent student of the word and of the great theologians of our time. But you actually mentioned in the book that when he went to seminary or when he went for his doctoral studies in Amsterdam, he didn't know a word of Dutch. 
Uh, right. Uh, so he doesn't know Dutch, doesn't really know any Latin. He knows a few Latin, <laughs> doesn't know German and doesn't know French. And so when he sits with Burkhauer, the first thing Burkhauer does is give him this reading list of like 40 books. And they're all in Dutch, German, French, and Latin. And Burkhauer could see the expression on R.C.'s face when he sees this list. And so Burkhauer asks him what's wrong. And R.C. says, I, I don't read French. Well, he didn't have the heart to say, and I don't read German, yeah. and I don't read Latin. So Burkhardt's like, oh, no problem. We'll fix that. He takes his list back, crosses out the French titles, writes a few more Dutch titles and gives it back to him. Mm -hmm. So what does R.C. do? He gets a Dutch dictionary. He gets note cards and he sits down with a Dutch theology book on the table and he sees the first word. He writes the Dutch word on a note card, looks it up in a dictionary, writes the definition on back. Takes him 12 hours to get through page one. Hmm. I mean, that's perseverance and diligence. Yeah. And that's right. what he did. Yeah. And that's why, I mean, that's a very small component of, of why it seemed so easy for him. <laughs> no, I saw it, Jeremy. I, I remember I'd, you'd be sitting with him. He'd get called up to preach on the way up. He'd grab somebody's Bible. <laughs> like You wouldn't even have a Bible with notes or, uh, you know, sometimes you write a little note in the margin. He just grabs some guy's Bible on the way mm -hmm. up to the pulpit, open it up, and just preach the sermon for 45 minutes. Yeah. It, it, it did come from somewhere, though. It, yeah. it didn't come out of nowhere. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, the fascinating thing about anytime you read a biography um, is really it's a story of two people. It's a story of who the biography is about and who's writing the biography to a certain degree. Um, and I'm fascinated at the notion that you who did have, um, you know, some years knowing RC personally, working with him as a teaching fellow at Ligonier and being part of Ligonier preparing ultimately to see the days that they're in now um, without RC. Um, what, what was impressed upon you as you, I mean, the, the biography is honestly, and I mean, I, I read a lot for this show. I don't think I've seen a better researched book um, and obviously you're blessed with the fact that this is, you know, modern history and, and the records are right there accessible, but you did such a tremendous job researching the book. Um, and it had to have been somewhat strange getting to know your friend all over again, and even to a certain degree at a deeper level. So what was that journey like for you going back and going back to the early days in Pittsburgh and the early days in Ligonier and then him meeting Vesta in elementary school and all of these things that had to have just been kind of an experience for you. Oh, yeah, it absolutely was. So before RC passed away, we'd have these biography sessions. I'd go over to his house. We'd sit, run the tape recorder, and I'd just ask him questions. Those are just wonderful memories that I always have and always yeah. cherish. I mean, I'm so thankful to God that he brought me here and I just had that time with him. Mm -hmm. And then as I started to cobble this together and put it together for the book, and I sort of surrounded myself with his notebooks and his books with all his margin notes and letters and pictures. I had pictures up all over the walls. Um, I just so enjoyed being in the story. I, I didn't want to stop writing it. Like I was, I was, as I was getting close to the finish of the book, I was sort of lamenting it. Honestly, that's the exact opposite of every other book I've written. Yeah, right. <laughs> and the time I get to the end, I'm like, okay, I'm done with you. I'm really ready to move on. But that book, I didn't want it to end. And, you know, with each chapter, I give it to Vesta. Mm -hmm. She'd review it. We'd talk about it. It just was an enjoyable experience to be in his life at that level. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, yeah. it is the providence of God. I will forever be thankful for. Yeah. And I'm sure, I'm sure it was um, bittersweet, you know, there in 2017 when you're continuing to work on this and and now it becomes uh, to a certain degree po- posthumous, but um a lot of people probably in the in this age of like I've mentioned a few times right now media and YouTube and podcasts um, are just only now and hopefully through this this show actually I would love if a listener who's never listened to RC Sproul goes and listens to Renewing Your Mind or reads one of these books but um, he's sort of become defined now by a few key moments that I think live in. Christian pop culture, him yelling at the conference, who do you think you people are and all these things. But, you know, those were reflections of the the ferocity that he displayed. But he actually, and you profile a few of them in the book, um, he was well known for taking stands on theological positions, um, even some doctrines that other Christians did not think were um, essential to take stands on you you actually titled a, a chapter in the biography stand referring to one in particular in regards to the evangelicals and catholics together um, but yet he maintained such a gregarious disposition um even with people that he he disagreed with vehemently and who disagreed with him even more vehemently so so you know kind of in this 2021 this 21st century of christianity where it seems as if either we agree to disagree and we never bring our differences out into the light or we shut each other out of various camps and tribes because we disagree. I feel as if RC is a good example of how we should navigate that. So what do you think the modern day evangelical church could learn from him and how to, to navigate that tumultuous uh, position of being in disagreement, but yet wanting to continue in relationship? Yeah, that's a great analysis. And a, a great question, I, th- I think a very crucial question to be asking right now. We talk about speaking the truth in love, uh, but it's much easier to talk about than do. And I think that's what it comes down to. And I think that's what he did. There was a kindness to Dr. Sproul. Yeah. And I think it goes back to, Vesta said something to me once. And I said to her, you know, I saw him just with people. It didn't matter. He really was with that person in the moment. And she said, I think it's because he always felt like he could learn something from someone and always valued people. So I think he genuinely cared about you and the singular, Mm -hmm. (laughs) not just, you know, you, the collective humanity, Mm -hmm. he cared about you. And I think you felt that even when you heard him speak or write, um, So I think that's one thing to just remember that I think we, he said this at one point, we owe every single human being we encounter dignity and respect. So I think that's something we forget sometimes, especially those of us who feel like we've got the truth and we are the guardians of the truth and don't forget it. Um, We need to remember that we still need to be kind and we can speak the truth in love. We're commanded to do it. We can do it. So that's one thing. I think the other thing is he knew what to stand for. So you go back to his friendship with John MacArthur. To me, this is exemplary. They disagree on 152 different things from smoking cigarettes to baptism to the covenant to eschatology to what is the purpose of the sermon on the mount i mean these these guys disagree on 
but they're foxhole buddies. Yeah. Because it's doctrine of God. It's the five solas and it's, we're going to do battle Royal for these things. Mm -hmm. And it's ultimately a love for the church and the people of God. Yeah. And so you've got these foxhole buddies who know what to agree upon. And so I think that's helpful for us. I mean, you start, you start thinking about this. You say Orthodox doctrine of God, inerrancy of scripture, Orthodox doctrine of Christology and justification by faith alone. Mm-hmm. Well, how much of American Christians have we just excluded? All right. Yeah. So th- this is, that's a, we need to recognize that's where we need to stand. Mm-hmm. And honestly, when we look around the room, if we're agreeing on those things, we really do need each other. Yeah. And probably now more than ever. Um, but I think those are some lessons. It's speaking the truth in love. It's being a kind person. It's, it's owing every human being dignity and respect. And then it's also knowing where should I stand and do I need to stand for? Yeah. You, um, in the book, probably, as I mentioned, that chapter on, on stand, on him standing for, um, I mean, there's a, a whole list of times where he would have, he had taken a stand, but one um, that you chronicle extremely well in the book is, um, him and J.I. Packer and a disagreement that they had in regards to the evangelicals and Catholics together statement. And, and really the story almost is like a modern day, you know, Diet of Worms, like Martin Luther standing in this council in RC looking at really kind of a who's who at the time of opinion right. makers in evangelicalism and saying, you know, no justification by faith alone is absolutely not just central, um, but essential, but yet there's another anecdote in the book and it's really laced all throughout because you just mentioned his kindness. Um, and you mentioned Vesta and, and for people who don't know, Vesta is RC's wife and they met, I think he was in first grade. She was in second, I believe you said in the book and, um, just lifelong confidants. And you said that most Sundays after he would preach Vesta, said that he asked one question in the car. Can you tell the listeners what that question was? Yeah. So as they're driving back home, he'll say, was I kind to people in that circle? Yeah. And, uh, you know, this isn't someone who is a man pleaser versus a God pleaser. Uh, he's going to put the truth out there and put it on the line, but it, it does have to do with, I think, how we approach people and how we think of people. And, you know, you mentioned ECT. That was, he talked about this. Vesta talked about this. That was the hardest moment in his life. These were genuine friendships. Mm-hmm. And it was J.I. Packer, it was Chuck Colson. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, that RC took a stand and it was costly. And that, he was hurt by that. Yeah. And for listeners who, uh, not that we're avoiding talking about it, but it's just, there's, I mean, I'm looking at the book right now. It's almost 300 pages. Uh, this is a life well lived. And I, I really do want to encourage listeners to go, whether you go through the show notes and purchase it through Amazon crossway um, through Ligonier, please go read it. It's, it's phenomenal. Um, and I do think that that sentiment, when I read it as somebody who even as an adult felt like I grew up listening to him teach because it was so formative. And and me as a teacher now, as a pastor and as a teacher with all things, all people, if I have the opportunity to teach and write on a chalkboard or a whiteboard, 
I will do that, even though I am nowhere near as good as RC. I, I um, that had to have been difficult coming into league and near. I think I saw a picture of you once actually writing on a chalkboard, and I thought, good lord, do they make them write on the chalkboards? Because there's no <laughs> way you can do it as well as RC. You know, right? No, they don't. But I, I've always liked chalkboards. Good. I, I yeah. just love the, the, uh, the, the ethos of yeah. the. He had a sort of Zorro move, and <laughs> was cross the T dot the I and a final like underline yeah. the final yeah. letter. And he did it so smoothly. It was like one continuous motion, mm-hmm. but it was definitely his mark. And yeah. you, you could physically hear it. Right? Yeah. yeah. There, there was a fluidity to how he taught that it seemed so natural for him to turn around and write it on the board. And, and, and honestly, we're laughing, but to somebody who's never um, taught in front of a group of people, it it was obvious even in how he wrote on the chalkboard that he knew exactly what he was talking about. He was not faking anything. He wasn't winging anything. And he really was a special man. And I, it, it, it was truly an honor to read the book and to feel as if I got to know him better um, because of the work that you did, you know, at his request. And, you know, with, with that in mind um, before, b- before I let you go, I, I mentioned to you pre-show um like so many other people who were impacted by him, there was a grief when, when he passed away, uh, even though of course, you know, he, he, he certainly was not grieving, but we certainly were. But then I thought about you and everybody else at Reformation Bible college and Ligonier and so many other people who, who had to forge on in a ministry that was profoundly shaped by him. Um, and so I did want to just kind of hear from you what the future of Ligonier looks like um, and what what is exciting that's going on there, because this is a ministry that not just because of RC, but because of people like yourself um, and so many others uh, has has been impactful for the kingdom of God. So what what does the future hold for Ligonier? Well, I appreciate that question. For one, sure, we miss him. I yeah. mean, miss him as a person. He, he occupied such a huge space that you just can't help but feel his loss. But as a ministry and as a college, we're pressing on. You know, Ligonier's president, Chris Larson, said it was almost as if in 2018, with R.C.'s passing, the year after R.C.'s passing, that God was shining a spotlight on the teaching of R.C. More people have come to Ligonier Ministries in the last two years, new people coming for the teaching, then have come to Ligonier over all of its previous 48. Wow. We're celebrating our 50th anniversary right now. And we just say, you know, glory to God. When the lockdown, we're a teaching ministry. We produce content for God's people, for the church. Discipleship, teaching material, how to study the word, thinking about theology, the application of this to world and life view. That's what we do. With the lockdown, we put a lot of this out just for free because we knew people were having time and they were watching stuff. So we want them to watch good stuff. Uh, So we've just been very blessed with the amount of people have been coming to Ligonier. And then I'd say on top of that, we just see ourselves too as no longer an English uh, only or English as Mm -hmm. first language ministry. We're actively working in 27 languages. We've got 11 websites in, in 11 different languages that are daily getting new material. Mm-hmm. And this is like Farsi and Hindi mm-hmm. and Chinese and Russian. I mean, it's just very exciting uh, to see what God is doing yeah. uh, through the ministry. And I, I think it's because you know, we just want to be faithful in teaching God's word and mm-hmm. faithful in teaching 
who God is. This, this is what R.C. always said. People don't know who God is. And because they don't know who God is, they don't properly understand who they are. And because they don't understand who they are, they don't fully understand who Jesus is in the gospel. And that's really all we're trying to do here. And uh, we just trust that we be faithful to that trajectory that Dr. Sproul set for us and that vision that he gave to us. And we just leave the rest to our God and his sovereign hands and control. Yeah. Uh, we just try to be faithful in that ministry. Well, there's few ministries that, you know, in, in American evangelicalism have done as good a job as Ligonier. And of course, at first led by Dr. Sproul, but now by men like you and so many others. Um, and uh, so I'm blessed to have benefited from it and it being impacted by it. And I do think the future, like you said, is going to be um, just as bright, if not brighter, uh, even without Dr. Sproul. And so, um, you know, Dr. Nichols, it's an honor to have you on the show. I do want to say um, in time to come, I'd love to have you back on the show and we'll just talk about you and talk uh, and talk about your projects. Cause of course, Dr. Sproul is worth talking about and devoting an entire episode to But even as I sit here, I go, this guy's written over 20 books. So, so next time you write a book, please consider coming back on the show and we'll just talk about you and your work. Sounds good. Although I, I tend to write mostly on church history. So yeah. we'll, we'll use those shows to talk about other people too. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. Well, Hey, we need people like you because uh, church history is more people should probably be writing on church history than any, any time ever. So yeah, you're, you're definitely needed. Uh, amen. No, not to them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but my wife will appreciate hearing that. Uh, yeah. but thanks, Jeremy. I've well, enjoyed time with you and would love to come back sometime. Well, sure. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much, sir. It was an honor. Thank you.